We're going to be reading John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who had healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now been, has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those here who will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done this, what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, 
My testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do you think, but do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? This is God's word. Thank you again uh, for welcoming back this evening. It's lovely to be here. Um, Lots of dear friends that I'm looking out on and lots of new faces as well. Uh, It's really good to be back. CCM, I was here for about 10 years, just under 10 years, and especially when I was a student and an apprentice later on as well. Those were some of the reformative years spiritually for me. Um, So it's a real privilege to be back and speaking on this wonderful passage in John 5. Let me pray and then we'll look at it together. Father, we're told in the Bible that your word is sweeter than honey and more precious than gold. And as we look at some of these words, these precious words in John's gospel spoken from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ, would they fill us with hope, reality of the future, and give us a greater love for the King and Lord that we worship? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, in 2016, there was a a survey called Talking Jesus, where about 3,000 people were were interviewed, surveyed, uh, asking asking what they thought about Jesus Christ and the Christian faith. 61% of the people that were interviewed said that they believed Jesus was a real person. But if you went back in a time machine 2,000 years ago, you could walk the shores of Galilee with him and have a barbecue with him and his disciples. Yet that percentage dropped somewhat on the question that asked, do you believe that he was divine, that he was God, as he says he was? And only 22% of those surveys said, yes, we do. Now, you might hear that and think, one in five, that's quite encouraging, actually. But obviously, that figure dropped as the claim raised. And maybe that chimes with our experience. There's the the colleague at work who sits next to us, and we get good banter with them, a bit of 
chat about Wimbledon and the World Cup, and they're open to talking about spiritual things. But as the conversation goes on and gets to the claims of Jesus Christ, that he is God, what, what do you make of that? Well, they maybe grab the coat and say they need a coffee and, and head outside, and the conversation fizzles out. C.S. Lewis, as many of you will know, said this, that either Jesus was, was a liar, was a lunatic, or was Lord. Those are the options. He can't just be a guru or a good teacher, good bloke. No, he's either a liar or lunatic or a Lord. And most of us, I'm sure this evening, if we're Christians, would say, yeah, I believe he's a Lord. I believe the third of those. But the question that comes really tonight is this. Will we acknowledge Jesus alone as Lord? Not just our mate or or someone who sort of helps us out when we're going through a bit of a hard time or or someone who makes us feel a bit better about ourselves. The kind of Jesus that we can keep in our pocket and carry around with us. No, will we confess, acknowledge him alone as Lord, front and center, the one who gives life? The one who judges, the Lord. This passage is then all about the the deity or the godness, the divinity of Jesus Christ and the life that he alone offers. Covering the whole of John 5 that Jenny wonderfully read, covering the whole of that in half an hour is a little bit like going to to one of those sort of Michelin-starred restaurants in Mayfair and getting a lukewarm takeaway. We just can't do it justice if we do all of it tonight. And so if it's okay with you, we're going to focus in on really the heart of the chapter, verses 19 to 30. If you're new or you've been away, the church at the moment is working through a series in John's Gospel called Close Encounters. And this week's passage we're looking at has been preceded by sign number three, miracle number three that has happened in this close close encounter with Jesus. It's a miracle of an invalid, a disabled man, who we're told earlier in the passage has been suffering for 38 long years. 38 years. Maybe he's been sitting by the pool and waiting to be healed, and he's seen other men his age, playing with kids. And he's sitting there, shunned by society, on the outskirts of life, seeing life pass him by, and yet Jesus heals him. He makes him well. And this has really started to grind the gears of the Jewish leaders. Why? Well, first of all, it happens on the wrong day. It happened on the Sabbath, the Jewish day of rest. But perhaps more pressingly, verse 17, is Jesus' sheer arrogance in the eyes of the leaders to call God his father. It's very common for for Jews to call Jesus our father. That was thumbs up, acceptable, but, but not my father. That very much puts the cat among the pigeons. And yet verse 18, just before where we're going to take off from in verse 19, Jesus there makes a monumental claim that he is equal with God. It's the nub of the problem for the Jewish leaders. See, in their eyes, Jesus is, is committing blasphemy. He's, he's in the C.S. Lewis category, liar, blasphemer. And the Jewish leaders as sort of self-proclaimed guardians of orthodoxy. Well, they need to put a stop to this man. How do they do that? Do they sort of give him a little slap on the wrist or take him to the side for a quiet conversation? Well, no, verse 18. They tried all the more to kill him. 
Were they happy to believe in God uh, and his power and his giver of life? Yeah, very happy. But this man, Jesus Christ, well, no, they hated it. And so our passage this evening expands on that claim that Jesus is God, that he reveals both, uh, this passage reveals both Jesus's identity as God, but also his work. And so what does it mean then that Jesus is equal to the Father? Well, hopefully on the sheets in front of you, you've got a little outline there. And this sort of umbrella heading at the start is this, the Son does the work of the Father. Let me read, if you've lost your place in the Bibles, we're on page 1068 from verse 19. It says this, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. So Jesus isn't claiming to be a sort of rival God, independent, but is working with his father. The claim is that he is revealing, implementing the, fan, the, the plan of his father. The accusation is that he is a rival, set up to God. The reality is that he is a partner, working in, in perfect unity, perfect harmony within the Trinity. See, the Trinity isn't something made up by Christians in the early church. No, the Trinity is here in the very pages of John's Gospel. That there is one God, three distinct persons. Did you notice as well that the relational dependency, so verse 19, if you look, says, the Son can do nothing by himself. It's not saying that Jesus is inferior to the Father, like a a little toddler that can't really do anything unless his father holds his hand. Jesus isn't like that. He could and can do anything. Yet he obediently submits to the work of his father. They are internally interwoven in their work. A little side note here. Some of you might have noticed that there is an order within the Trinity. It's not that the father depends on the Son or learns from the Son. No, the Father is the one who sends, commands, commissions. And the Son, well, the Son learns, responds, receives authority. There's also a a mirroring. Is that a word? Mirroring? Yeah, let's, let's roll with that. There's a mirroring taking place in this passage as well. So verse 19, again, the Son can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. It's the language then of a family business. Um, I grew up in Cornwall, beautiful, sunny southwest of England. And near where I lived, there was a little village called Budock. If any of you have been there, that's very impressive because it really is in the middle of nowhere. And in Budock, there's a pub called the Trelawarren Arms. That's a really good sort of Poldark Cornish sounding name, isn't it? And the Trello Warren Arms is, is owned by a guy called Glyn. He's a landlord. And he's been there donkey's years. And his son there is Gareth. And everyone knew that one day Gareth would take over the family business from his father. And Gareth had grown up in the pub pretty much, learning from his father, uh, seeing what his father was doing. And so the day a few years ago when Gareth did finally take over, 
Gareth wasn't suddenly going to start serving 12-pound London cocktails in this pub. He wasn't going to start serving sort of smashed avocado sandwiches and salmon. No, you don't, you don't do that in Budok. I don't think, unless the hipster revolution has, has gone down there as well. No, he poured his pints in the same way as his dad. He, he chatted to the customers in the same way as his dad. He served the same pork scratchings that his dad had always bought in from that same supplier. And so you presume that the local customers would say, you're a chip off the old block. Like father, like son. You're like your old man. Do pop in if you're ever in Budok. I'm sure they would appreciate the trade. But here, Jesus mirrors his father in John's gospel. He's not independent, but he mirrors. He reveals the father. Just as on a lovely evening like this, we walk home and and the shadow follows us as we walk on a beautiful sunny evening. So the, the sun reflects the work of what the Father is doing in perfect harmony. And so if we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. If we want to know what the the Father is doing, we look at the Son. Jesus too is, is divine. He is God. And it's not a cold relationship either. I love this. It says that it's based on love. So verse 20, the Father loves the Son. He always has, he does now, and he always will love his son. It's perfect love within this trinity. Jesus basks in the radiant love of his father towards him. One God, three persons. And so this isn't the lonely God of Islam, of Allah. It's not the multiple, unknowable gods of Hinduism. Jesus is not a rival, but a perfect partner within this Godhead of the Trinity, a relationship that existed before the world began. And so if the healing of this invalid, who was disabled for 38 years, was designed to make us marvel and amazed at Jesus' work, well, then these next few works are to show us greater works, we're told than the healing of this man. If that should leave us amazed, these verses should take us even further as we're showing greater works. As you'll see there on your handout again, the first of those is this. The Son gives life. The Son gives life. Life is is one of those words. You might have already picked it up as you've worked through John's Gospel that keeps on scattering up, popping up all the time. And, And verse 21 shows that Jesus alone is the one who is entrusted with the keys to this life. Verse 21, let me read. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. So here we see the playing out of the the Son mirroring the Father and his work. See, the sceptical Jewish leaders of the day, they were very happy acknowledging God, the Father, as the giver of life. So verses from Deuteronomy, they would say, Amen to, would be uh, God saying, There is no gods beside me. I put to death and I bring to life. They would, round of applause, Amen, yes, we believe that. But the scandal is that here, Jesus, that bloke, the, the, do you remember Joseph, the carpenter's son? He's claiming this. He's claiming to give life. And it outrages them. You imagine the whispers. Who on earth does this guy think he is? 
blasphemy, liar. But like father, like son, Jesus has life in himself from all eternity, which enables him to give life to whomever he pleases. And just as Jesus walked up to that pool and presumably saw a number of people lying around, he chose that one man, the invalid, to heal. So too, Jesus chooses who he gives life to. But question, who are the people that he chooses? Look at verse 24. It says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Who are the people that Jesus chooses? Well, those who hear, those who believe. See, hearing Jesus is the same as hearing the Father. Believing Jesus is the same as believing the Father. And really the result, the result and the prize are some of the most precious verses in the whole of Scripture, most precious words. Let me read verse 24 again slowly. Just enjoy these words. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Last Sunday, I got back from a visit to Uganda. Um, Some of you might know Simon Dixon, by the way, who used to work here. Uh, We all flew back last Saturday evening. Simon booked the wrong flight and had to stay another night in Uganda. So do make sure you remind him of that next time you see him. (laughs) Anyway, slightly unrelated. But um, I was in Uganda, and it was a Bible college out there that we're sort of linked with our Bible colleges. And I met a lady called Elizabeth. Elizabeth is studying at the college, and she's from South Sudan. Some of you might have heard of the, the awful realities of what's going on in, in South Sudan. It's, it's rather filtered out of the Western media. Just It's gone on so long. Sort of stopped reporting on it. But South Sudan is a, a place full of civil war. Tens or maybe even hundreds of thousands possibly have died there. There's child soldiers. There's, there's attacks on the UN workers who go... It's an awful place for someone to live in South Sudan. And apparently a few weeks before I was out in Uganda, Elizabeth, this lady from South Sudan, came in crying into the chapel service, saying she had just heard news that her family, or her tribe rather, had just been attacked, just been caught up in this war. And she couldn't get through. She didn't know who was well and who, who wasn't. An awful thing for her to go through. Yet amazingly, Uganda, that's a country that's materially very poor, has welcomed in over a million refugees from South Sudan to live in their country. Refugees like Elizabeth, who I met. And as Elizabeth and and those other South Sudanese people step over the border from their country into Uganda, they have gone then from one, one regime to a place of relative safety. They've passed from one realm into another. Stepping over a border full of a land full of war and chaos and violence into a land full of freedom to walk the streets, to get food on the plate, family protected. 
And that's something of the picture here going on in John's gospel, that the Christian has, has been transferred from one realm going over the border into another. They have gone from death to life. And the life promised in Jesus Christ, I hope you do know, is, is very, very wonderful. As you've been looking at John's gospel so far, the, the chapter one kind of life that, that means you can call God father, that you're a child of God. Chapter two, the, the water into wine, abundant life that you can have. Chapter three, the, the life that Nicodemus was offered, not perishing, but eternal life. Chapter four, that living water that, that is abundant, that, that wells up inside us and satisfies us so deeply. Later in chapter 10, life to the full. And Jesus says that this kind of life comes from who? Him and him alone. He alone is that gateway to the life that is promised, only available through him. And so if you're joining here tonight and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, it's really brilliant that you're here. And these are huge claims, of course. And I know the church uh, from my time here has a number of courses looking into these kind of deep claims and questions. And it would be a great thing to go along to that. But there might be others here, and you've heard Jesus' words week on week. You've listened to them. But you've never taken that step and believed, had faith in Jesus and his words. And you know that verse 24, as you hear that, Jesus is speaking to you this evening. Well, relationship with him can start today, whatever you've done in the past, or whatever you think disqualifies you from this kind of life. He offers you the, that opportunity to go from one realm to another, the, the realm of, of spiritual death and condemnation into eternal life. See, he is the source of life, not, not spirituality or mindfulness or self-actualization or faith in general, per se. No, faith alone in Jesus Christ. And that is true for every single one of us here this evening. Life only comes from trusting him. That complete transaction, that transfer is on offer for all of us. See, just as the healing of the invalid showed Jesus' power to bring physical life to that man, this shows his power to bring spiritual life, even greater works than saying, get up, to that man. But these verses are also very important, relevant for Christians, of course, this evening as well. It gives us great assurance. And I don't know if you noted, there is a now and a not yet element here going on. Some here will naturally focus in on, on the life to come, the life after death, and the not yet. That will be kind of the way we feel and think. We'll know that you have eternal life now. You were dead. Now you're alive. I love how it doesn't say, uh, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent to me might have life or will have life. That would be good. But even better, present tense, has life. It's a reality. And you can't lose that eternal life. You can't be transferred back from life into this realm of death. However you're kind of feeling as a Christian, oh, I've not been great recently, I'm not feeling very spiritual or not doing very well with quiet times. Well, this reality is unswerving. You have this eternal life. 
And so don't look for that life elsewhere in career or relationships or whatever it might be. Look for it in Jesus. He is the only source of it. Some will look at the not yet. Others will think so much about this life that is offered now. And that's a great thing. But remember that it is eternal as well. That one day you will dwell with the giver of life in his perfect new creation. The sun gives life. A little more briefly, the sun passes judgment. The sun passes judgment. So this is the second element then of Jesus doing the Father's work. Jesus then is the judge. He's entrusted with the keys of judgment, if you like, on the last day. And it's easy on a hot evening, isn't it, to hear, hear the word judge or the topic of judgment and think, I might have a little snooze now until the last song kicks up and Phil comes in an electric guitar solo. And you, you sort of just switch out and, and sort of the, the barrier comes down, the defense comes down. But we desperately need to hear the words that Jesus is the judge. Look at verse 22. It says this, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Jesus then is entrusted to judge. Think of the, the high court judge who, who serves under the Queen there at her request. And, and this judge in the high court represents the Queen, does the work there, makes decisions, final decisions on her behalf. So the queen doesn't have to be in court when those things are going on. One, she wouldn't be able to be in all the courts going on. And two, come on, you know, her on a hard seat at this age, that would be unfair to the queen, I'm sure. No, rather she's entrusted this work to the high court judge. And as in this passage, the father entrusts the work to the son of judgment. Again, the Jewish leaders thumbs up to, to God being the judge, happy to go along with that. But the claim here is that Jesus will be the judge on the final day of human history. And he will judge with fairness, power and great authority. How is he qualified for this? Well, verse 27, we're told he is the son of man. It's a slightly different phrase than the son of of God or son of the father used in this passage. It's a title used 81 times in the Gospels and it's used exclusively by Jesus. And it shows that he is human, that he is one of us, but that also he has been entrusted from the Father with great judgment and authority. He is uniquely qualified as a judge. Judgment Day is described in verses 28 to 29. Let me read. It says this, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Soberingly clear. As the curtains draw on human history, there will be two groups. Not those who have some kind of faith or are spiritual and those who aren't. No, those who have trusted in the Son and those who haven't. But with that, there's two destinations also. Those who have eternal life and those who face eternal condemnation. Eternal life, eternal death. And the same Jesus that that summoned summoned the invalid and said, get up, as he picked up his mat and walked, 
will summon every person who has ever lived in this world, from military leaders to your next door neighbour, to work colleagues, to family members, to those buried, those cremated, those lost at sea. There will be two groups, two destinations. There won't be a nice convenient fence to sit on down the middle where you or your friends could sit. Let me ask, how, how does this sit with you this evening? That Jesus is the judge? It really outraged the Jewish leaders of his day that he claimed this. And it outrages many today. It doesn't fit well with, with the tolerant society or the circles we might move in. Yet here the point is that, that life can only be found in Jesus and so can judgment. He is the only one qualified entrusted to judge. There is no hope other than in Christ Jesus as Lord. My parents went to a funeral, not in Budok. I don't think it's big enough to do funerals there, but nearby they went to a funeral the other day in Cornwall. And it was a Christian man um, who had died. And so there was rejoicing for them in that sense, but they were really, really cross, disappointed. As soon as the vicar stood up, uh, and opened his mouth with the words that he said. He said, Kevin has gone to be with the Lord. He is in heaven. And every single one of us here will go and join him one day. And we'll be in heaven with him. All of us. Every single one of us here. I don't know all of you. But you'll all be there on that last day in heaven with Kevin. Sadly, that's a message that's repeated up and down the land in crematoriums, funerals and churches. Sounds lovely that directly opposes what Jesus is saying here. And maybe you think at, at CCM, well, you know, it's a good church, good Bible teaching every week, well-trained, good Bible studies. And you're opposed to this kind of blatant universalism, universalism, the technical term to say that everyone will one day be in heaven in the end. Yet Waterstones is packed, isn't it, of, of books that reclaim this. But it directly contradicts Jesus' precious words. So we might not be blatant universalists, to use that term again, but I wonder whether some of us might be inadvertent universalists. An attitude of everything's, everything's sort of going to be okay in the end. We need to hold together Jesus as giver of life, but also as judge. There is no other hope than in him alone. And surely these words will, they should bring us to our knees as we pray for, for friends, family, colleagues. But it should also lead us to unzip our lips, to speak about Jesus and the life that he alone offers, the rescue that he alone offers from judgment. So the reality is that many of our friends, we might be the only Christian that they know. If we don't talk to them about these things, who will? People's lives, their destinies, hinge on their acceptance or rejection of these very words of the Son. We've had a great week of penalty shootouts, VAR decisions, some people might have watched Love Island. Whatever's happened this week, doesn't that pale in comparison? <laughs> to these words and this reality. So as we finish, let me ask you the question really from verse 23 that's there. 
It says, will you, will you honor the son? Will you really let him be Lord? Not the nice sort of pocket Jesus that we carry along. Would you let him be this kind of Lord? See, on the last day, the day of judgment, everyone will honor the son on that day from the greatest to the least. But will we today? The son is equal with the father, sent by him to this earth, not only to perform amazing miracles like we see in this chapter, but ultimately to die on the cross at the hands of those kind of Jewish leaders, the ones who hated his claims so much that they would crucify him. And it is at the cross that we both see life and judgment. For our sakes, the son took that judgment the judgment day judgment and wrath that we deserve on himself at the cross, meaning that we are sheltered, protected from the judgment that naturally we should face. We see judgment, but we also see life. That Jesus, the the giver of life, the one who holds the keys to life, gave up his life so that we may gain eternal life. Jesus is not a rival to God or a liar or a lunatic. No, he is Lord. He is the one who will judge. But he also is the one who gives a life. A life that will go on forever in eternity with him. And so we listen to him and we believe in him. Let me pray. Father, these words in John 5 are so encouraging for us as Christians, so encouraging for us to know that we have gone from that realm of death into life, from darkness to light. Well, those words are precious. I pray that we would hang on to those words as we go into this week to come. But with that, Lord, help us to hold on to this, this word that you are also the judge the one qualified to judge, who on that last day, everybody's destiny is in, the, is in the Lord's hands. And so, Lord, help that be something that inspires us, equips us to, to spread the gospel, to pray for those we love, so that Jesus Christ might be glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.